Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this week's episode where we're talking all about The Mandalorian, Chapter 20, The Foundling, directed by the one and only Carl Weathers. I think it's interesting that he wasn't in this episode, too. Yeah. And he directed it. Mm-hmm, me you know? too. Yeah. So what'd you think of The Foundling? I thought this was such a fun episode. It was fun. It was a little crazy. It was not what I was expecting, but I've kind of felt that way about the whole season, to be honest. Every episode, I feel like there's something really unexpected, I think. You know, last week we had Dr. Pershing and everything happening on Coruscant. And then this week we're back with the Mandalorians to get a flashback with Grogu to, you know, Order 66, Kelleran back kind of beating around the bush here a little bit. Uh, That was incredible. And then everything happening with Bo and Din and the, the rescue of the other foundling. There's a lot going on in the foundling. So I, I don't know. I'm excited to talk about it. I think my my favorite part, honestly, was all the hermit crabs at the beginning with Grogu. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of love how we've been tracking moving rocks a lot throughout different Star Wars projects. And I think this is such a fun addition to uh, this little repository we have of moments and clips of people moving rocks, uh, quote unquote, and the fact that they all ended up being hermit crabs. I don't know. It's such an adorable way to start off the foundling, especially after last week we were talking about how there wasn't enough Grogu. So they definitely made up for it this week. I think for me, I was really surprised with how much they packed into this Mm -hmm. with just 30 minutes. Um, It's a short one but it doesn't feel like it to me. I am not someone who gets annoyed at the lengths of these episodes. I feel like it doesn't really bug me at whatever pace and time it takes to tell an episode. That's fine for me. But uh, this, I feel like, had a lot in it. I think the moment we heard that this was called The Foundling, Carl Weathers let that slip a couple of (laughs) days early on TikTok. I love this man. He just doesn't care. It's so great. I I was like, this is going to be the episode in which we see the Order 66 flashback that we saw in the trailer. I think with The Mandalorian, we know the the fact that in the trailers, they really only show the first half of the season. And Mm -hmm. here we are now. This is the midpoint of the season, season two. And there's a lot to talk about. A lot happened. So... Let's talk about it. But before we do, I completely skipped over the fact that in two weeks, oh my God, (laughs) we are going to Star Wars Celebration Europe and we're doing a live podcast on stage at the Holonet News Stage in Room 14 on Sunday, April 9th at 1 p.m. And we would love if you were there. We're going to be talking about all this new Star Wars news that's coming out. We'll have the Lucasfilm panel before us, the Ahsoka panel, all the cool new announcements will have already happened by that point. I mean, most of them, the bulk of them, I would assume, because that's it's past the halfway point of celebration is when our stages. So I think we'll have a lot to talk about and I just cannot wait. So we hope to see you there. And if you are not going to Star Wars Celebration Europe, I feel like I haven't mentioned this yet, but we will be doing our best, tech willing, to record <laughs> this. So if all goes according to plan, I'll have that up within 24 hours after our stage appearance. So 
Hope to see you there. The giveaway rules are a little weird this year, so <laughs> maybe outside of the room we can give you some stuff. If, if we've got it, we'll get it to you somehow. <laughs> yeah, it might not be in the room, but we'll hang around afterwards to chat too. So yeah, uh, yeah. So that's that's the vibe. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm very excited. I am not thinking about how close it is. It's. Yeah, we leave in under two weeks. So <laughs> I, I upgraded my seat to my plane seat. I'm very excited about it. Yeah. I feel so like this trip is so special. I'm very excited yeah. to be going back to London. So yeah, I um, can't wait. I use I use my miles to upgrade my seat too for the first time. So I'm very excited. It's worth it. it yeah, it's I'm I'm it. not first class, but I'm I'm up. I'm not economy either. So I'll take it. Uh, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't have that many miles, but I'm very excited uh, for I'm, I'm excited to go to an international celebration and um, see see what the vibe is, see what's going on. I don't know. See what's announced. The panel, the panels sound incredible at celebration this year. So I'm really excited. And I know there was a lot of discussion online about what was and wasn't going to be streaming. And so far, they've announced that there will be streaming um, of panels from Star Wars Celebration. They, they didn't say all panels, so I, I imagine it might not be every single panel, but it does sound like there is going to be panels that are streamed. So uh, if you're going to be watching from home, I think there's going to be a lot going on on the Star Wars uh, YouTube channel. So definitely be sure to uh, check that out. And like Charlotte said, we have our stage. I'm super excited for it. Um, and yeah, we'll have that up as soon as possible. Yes, absolutely. Okay, let's talk about the foundling. So, yes, we start with the hermit crabs, your favorite part. Um, <laughs> I'm very glad that we started here, but I feel like we have a lot to talk about. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay, so <laughs> let's talk about how we see Grogu engage in his first ever Mandalorian duel with Ragnar little boy. What did you think about this whole scene, Caitlin? This whole scene was was funny. Number one, I I like how this episode is kind of effectively split in two. It, it, I think it was almost kind of perfectly at the halfway point that, you know, we had our time with Grogu and then afterwards it's the rescue of Ragnar and kind of everything that follows that. But this beginning part, I don't know, I found it all so charming and the fact that Din just puts him up and Grogu's expressions in this episode I thought were incredible. They really felt um, like they had taken it up a couple notches, I think, and we're seeing a lot more expressions and uh, personality from him than we have in the past. This is something we've been talking about uh, all season, I think, and this is something you love to talk about is the character development of Grogu. And this really mm -hmm. feels like a big stepping stone um, this week for Grogu's character development. But the expressions that he was giving Din as Din kind of put him up to be challenged, he kept turning so back. Good. <laughs> he was like, are you... Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Are you for real right now? Like, look at this kid. Look at me. I don't. I can't do this. I'm a baby. <laughs> I'm just a baby. It was I'm just a baby. It was so funny. Um, one thing I wanted to note was that Din. Uh, you know, everyone talks about Din as Grogu's father, but Din refers to himself as his ward, as Grogu's ward. So I think we might see that reference mm -hmm. change in the future. Um, it was just something I noted that he referred to himself well, as his ward. I think that's just in the duel. I think so too, but 
I don't think we've heard Din refer to himself as Grogu's father. I agree. I think other people have referred yes. to him as Grogu's father, but not himself. And I think later we see Paz refer to Ragnar as his son. And then Ragnar also refers to Paz as his father. Obviously, like, I don't know anything about their family and whatever, but I have to assume that if the title is the foundling, that Ragnar is also a foundling sort of adopted into this family and the theme of parenthood and adoption and the fact that uh, Ragnar calls Paz dad and Paz says he's my son you know that's it's sort of foreshadowing a moment in which Din could potentially say this about Grogu I think we know that this is that's their relationship they are Mm. father and son maybe even more than Paz and Ragnar at this point but it's just maybe not as defined um out loud yeah I guess I felt like there were so many strong elements of parenthood and bonding and connections throughout this entire episode and you know something we haven't talked about a ton this season is the fact that the titles are once again proving to have double meaning the foundling here in the title is both Ragnar and Grogu. And I think it's only apt that they had this cute little duel. <laughs> it sort of reminded me of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, honestly, of <laughs> Draco and Harry yeah. having that duel. Uh, that was silly. But at least in this circumstance, it didn't get taken too far. And I thought... I think you noted this in the note in the notes, and I thought this was pretty good that Ragnar chose darts instead of something like a gun or a flamethrower or something. It was he he went to Grogu's level there. And I I I sort of wanted them to shake hands afterwards <laughs> <laughs> and have some sort of you know, some sort of um cordial dual etiquette that was part of it. But um, I actually really liked that. And I liked the fact that Bo-Katan in this scene, going back to the conversation about, you know, father as a title, Bo-Katan ref- whispers in Grogu's ear and is like, you know, my dad did the same thing to me. Yeah. So I thought that was really nice. And it was just cute. It was super <laughs> Sometimes cute. the show is just cute, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is this was particularly cute. I really enjoyed the conversation between Ragnar and Din as well. You know, I think Ragnar had a point when he was saying, you know, if he's if Grogu is too young to wear a helmet, then he's too young to fight because he can't take up the creed. So is this even a lifestyle he wants? I think you could take the 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 thought there, which I thought was kind of was a good point, actually. And you know, of course, Din is like, no, he's he's got to learn and there's no time like the present. So let's go. I think it's great because it feels like Din and, and really all of the Mandalorians here, um, they're starting, especially our older ones like Din, Bo-Katan and the Armorer, or I guess I should say the ones that we're more familiar with um, as characters that we know. They're really kind of taking in stride the size matters not <laughs> from mm-hmm. Yoda. <laughs> and they expect the same things of Grogu that they do of the other foundlings of being able to train of um you know the whole scene with the grogu and the armorer in the forge i thought was great of of you know talking about growing up and weaknesses and and kind of facing your adversities and trials and we're of course going to talk about those scenes i think once everyone gets over the shock of grogu because i doubt people have ever seen his species before it's you know, he's he's a foundling and he will be treated as such no matter what. Yeah. And the armor treats him 
like a a regular child, I guess. Mm-hmm. Often, you know, she, she's like, come Grogu, follow me, let's go Grogu, in the way that she does. And I don't know, I, I thought this was funny that, you know, when they went off to save Ragnar, Grogu was left with the armor, and in a lot of ways, the armor was basically babysitting, babysitting Grogu. Him, yeah. yeah. I loved and, how she, what does she say? She says something along the lines of, there's work to do and yeah. she, she just she walks into the cave and then there's just this long pause of Grogu scurrying after it's just the best this puppet moving like that is just the funniest thing I can't get enough I love it so much it's so silly it's so Star Wars to me the way that this little puppet scurries I just you know they keep putting jewelry and new clothes on the baby and then covering the baby with the outfit that he's had forever and this outfit is dragging on the floor you know if he's he's gonna walk situation yeah if he's gonna walk like I think I think he needs proper pants right (laughs) the reason why we have pants is so that it's easy to walk and I feel like he is drowning in this big coat (laughs) he needs a jumpsuit like Yoda had no you know what The, the armor was like you know what he needs a big ass necklace <laughs> that's gonna weigh him down. <laughs> I she put that on him. I was like, I too was like, be Evan for real. What is? What is going I was on? I was really waiting for him to just like keel over with just the sheer weight of it. Can't I kind of love it. it. I love it because I think everyone was expecting a helmet, and instead we just get this like yeah, cool drip I guess it's just um and of course you know why it's covered by the by the robe this huge coat that's on the baby and this tweed coat I think it's shearling but I think it honestly I think it looks like it's made out of burlap so (laughs) anyway I feel like we need to talk about if we're if we're already here let's just talk about the scene with the Grogu and the armor and the flashback for a lot of ways I was really excited that we see Grogu and Din have this parallel moment where in the beginning of the Mandalorian in the first three episodes when uh Din gets the Beskar melted down and then gets new armor and he has these flashbacks that come in waves of his family getting killed, his town being ransacked, and then him being rescued of sorts by Death Watch, the uh, Children of the Watch, which is where he is now. And in a lot of ways, that was the Children of the Watch We from this moment are his lifeline. It's who saved him. It's who brought him in after his parents died. So I think we get a similar thing, right, with Grogu here having flashbacks and a lot of fear that he's able to unlock when he's looking into the fire in the same way that Din did about his time in Order 66. We saw this in the last season of The Mandalorian, but we only saw a very short piece of it of Grogu's own trauma regarding Order 66. And now we see a lot more and we see who rescued him. And it is none other than, drumroll please, Kelleran Beck, Ahmed Bast, welcome back. We love to see you. We love to see it. We love to see Jedi Temple Adventures, the game show, coming into (laughs) The Mandalorian. It is so funny because to me, this whole thing was both unlikely surprising and not surprising. I don't know about you. I was like, this makes so much sense. Oh yeah, I'm when so, I'm so when the other for Ahmed Best. Oh my gosh, 
gosh, he looked great. His uh, yes. his robes were incredible. Yeah, when the uh, the other Jedi in the flashback said, you know, get him to Kelleran, I was like, did I did I hear that correctly? <laughs> I was so excited. My jaw was honestly on the floor. I thought it was great. And apparently, hold on, I want to pull up on Twitter. There's from the interview that Ahmed did with, I believe, StarWars.com, um, talking about the design of his um, robes, because I, I really do think they stand out a lot. It was something I was thinking about. So then to see it, uh, that he mentioned it in the interview, uh, I thought was really interesting. Uh, he said Ahmed Best collaborated closely with costume designer Shauna Trippic, and I'm sorry if I mispronounced that, on the look of Kelleran's robes and tunic, incorporating elements of his own tribal tattoos as well as Afrofuturism symbols um, into his character's gold detailing. Uh, in addition to the look of the character, Best developed his own view of the Force for Kelleran and how he experiences the Force. Quote, to me, the Force is not just this thing that Jedi tap into when they want to throw something heavy. The Force is this thing that is constantly moving. You're all always interacting with it. I see it as like if you're running underwater and you're moving through water, that's what it feels like moving through the force. So trusting the force means trusting that these ebbs and flows of this feeling you can move with. I don't know. I thought that was really great. And, you know, Amon Best is such a wonderful person. He's been through a lot in the Star Wars community. And uh, for him to have this moment, I think is so, is so special. And I don't know. I, I loved it so much to see him and Grogu on Coruscant during Order 66, not to mention the Naboo of it all. <laughs> I, I can't even get into it. I just have to say one more thing about Ahmed Best. I have to say that I've seen a lot of chatter about it. I'm not going to go into it, but I do think the onus is on us as fans oh, yeah. to embrace and support Ahmed's role in The Mandalorian, and I'm just so, so happy for him. I'm so happy. I mean – I will say it. People, there have been yeah. an, a lot of online articles saying like this is a moment of redemption for Ahmed Best, which is so out Stupid. of touch and yeah. ridiculous to suggest that Ahmed Best was in need of redemption when to say that he was put through a lot in the Star Wars community is a gross understatement, understatement. of what really happened and what he went through um, after the the prequel trilogy. So. Um, People who have written that is just – anyway, it's very tone deaf. It's extremely tone deaf and incorrect, and he did a great job. And to see the uh, influence he had on Kelleran Beck's character, how he looked, how he felt about the Force, feels very High Republic, honestly, in that description of water and the Force, which I thought was great. And I'm so glad that he was involved in this um, yeah. for a lot of reasons. Totally. Completely agree. And I'm glad you said it. <laughs> I don't think I could have said it without like crying, to be it, honest. Yeah. I okay. So let's talk about the Nidaboo connection because it's intense. Okay. A lot was happening for me when we were going through this. I know for you as well. Yeah. But first, it's this discovery that it's Keller and Beck, and I was like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. This is great. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm so happy for Grogu. But then I got a little worried for Kelleran's character. Okay, because obviously this is a moment of trauma for Grogu. We're sort of left on a little bit of a cliffhanger. We don't know what happens. We jump to hyperspace, right? But in between that, we have a great, awesome Attack of the Clones-esque street chase, right? Which is like so cool. Sky chase, I guess. Um, Sky chase. (laughs) And uh, and then we meet (sighs) the Naboo guards, (laughs) (laughs) which just opens up a whole big can of worms. And then we see... 
you know the the ship that Padme used in both Attack of the Clones and in in the Phantom Menace, but not what she uses in Revenge of the Sith. And I always wondered about that. I always wondered why we got a new <laughs> ship. I actually liked the design better in in Revenge of the Sith. I think it's cooler and sleeker and looks like a plane versus like a really sci-fi orb esque ship. And I always wondered, like, where's that other ship? What happened to it? I thought maybe the Clone Wars explained it. And I just, like, didn't remember. And uh, so the so many questions. Does Kelleran Beck have a relationship with Naboo? Does he know Jar Jar Binks? Does, is Representative Binks providing help? Did Padme call in a rescue when she saw the, the flames and the smoke from the Jedi Temple? She says that. She says, you know, you can see the smoke from here. I... What is happening? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of headcanons are possible yeah. in this moment. Uh, especially also, not to mention that Keller mention, mentioning that Grogu was the only youngling that he was able to save makes me think of Reva in Obi-Wan Kenobi and how her own trauma there, mm -hmm. all her fellow younglings died. Um, and Kelleran wasn't there to help them. So just another comment about Kelleran is that in the Jedi Temple game show, um, he was the protector of the younglings in that. So they yeah. really canonized it. It just makes so much sense. Ugh, I love it. I do too. I think there is the Naboo connection. It just, it always feels so good when you see a Naboo ship come on screen. It just... It's so great. It, it's so iconic, the look of them. I don't know. I was really excited when I saw it. But it, it made me think a lot, you know, about, you know, Padme is involved, the the other queen on Naboo, Jar Jar Binks. You know, there are a lot of options here. But the fact that they, it feels like they could be going to Naboo for refuge. And if Naboo opened up its planet to Jedi seeking refuge uh, who were impacted you know, by Order 66, once it was clear what was going on. I don't know. I think that would be an interesting story thread to follow at some point in the future. But I think there's still there's still a big piece, right, that we don't know. It appears like Kelleran and Grogu got away. So they go somewhere. Do they go to Naboo? How long is Kelleran with Grogu? Um, there are still a lot of questions about Grogu's past. But I got to say, one other thing that I keep seeing online a lot is people asking if we're done seeing Order 66 yet. And I'm just not one of those people. I am not either. I, I, love, I, I love the angst. Bring I it love on. It so much. <laughs> also, it's like the only moment that makes sense. Not the only moment, but like it's a really good timeline tracker yeah. for so many people. Huge. And it's such a cataclysmic event in the galaxy. This is the moment everything changes. And I don't know. I think I think it's like the moment to reference back. You're right, as a timeline marker. We talked about this, I think, last week or the week before about why it's important to include these sorts of things that I think as deep fans who watch everything at sometimes can feel a little repetitious between storylines. But, you know, we're not the only people watching these things. And for the general public, especially people who might have jumped in this season or just through Book of Boba Fett, uh, you know, for them to remember that, oh, yeah, Grogu is is casually 50 years old. <laughs> he's He's been through a lot. I don't know. I th you're right. It's a great timeline marker that really, you know, lets the audience know where we are. But other than that, the angst, I'm obsessed with the angst of Order 66. You are too. And 
anyway, I would like to keep seeing more Order 66 in whatever capacity we see it <laughs> again. Yeah. I really – I think in our prediction episode when we were talking about the trailer for The Mandalorian, I was like, I think there's a chance we could see Anakin. And mm-hmm. I still think that that was probably on the table. Um, but it, I'm glad that Keller and Beck had his moment versus Anakin. We didn't need that. We saw that in Obi-Wan Kenobi, which is actually where it should be. Yeah, so exactly. I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah. All right, let's talk about why it's important to actually have this full flashback with Grogu because, um, you know, we know that he was at the Jedi Temple during Order 66. We already know this. So why are we kind of revisiting it? I think it's important to think about what the armorer is saying in this moment. Uh, I think she's got she's always got some great little tidbits, but this is another good one. She says, just as we shape the Mandalorian steel, we shape ourselves. We all begin as raw ore. We refine ourselves through trial and adversity. The forge can reveal weakness. And you had put this question in the notes of, is Grogu's trauma a weakness? Um, I think it was to a certain extent. You know, we know that in in the episode from season two with Ahsoka, she says that everything from when he was young is like dark. It's like a a, a dark yeah. memory, or he he can't he can't even remember it himself. He's blocked it off. Um, it's just like darkness. I think is what she says. But I think that you know Grogu has essentially chosen to forget his past. But in order to grow, he has to confront his past and the trauma that happened to him in order to be able to grow. As the armor says, through trial and adversity, they are shaped. And Grogu has been actively blocking this thing out and if he doesn't confront his past he can't he can't move forward into the future as both a jedi and um as a mandalorian as a foundling and i'm sure being in this kind of community um in this situation where people are actively training that's an environment he was familiar with with the jedi of kids actively training that's got to be bringing up a lot for him not to mention his time with luke um in actual jedi training school pseudo jedi training school whatever it is they did out there (laughs) but i'm sure that all of this is kind of bringing up a lot of memories for him and the forge in a way did reveal it that it was something he needed to something he needed to remember. And I think this is a really pivotal moment, you know, what we've been talking about in Grogu's character development. And I think it was another great choice to have Grogu be by himself in this moment, um, not have Din there, to be in a situation that is probably a little scary is probably not the right word with the armor because I think Grogu knows he's safe there. But, you know still like a a new place newish people um the forge is kind of scary looking <laughs> there's a lot going on it's very scary it's very scary <laughs> his face really says it you know so oh my i think god the fear on this this baby's yeah, face oh it was so it was very expressive and very i'm like sad. throwing awards at these puppeteers right like, um catch them <laughs> <laughs> gotta catch them all <laughs> but i think I think this was a really important moment um, for Grogu to have with the armor really kind of by himself, I would say, of confronting this moment um, to also think the, the comparison of, you know, his last home at the Jedi Temple where people were training was violently taken from him. And I'm sure there's fear that this could happen again uh, with, you know, it, the Mandalorians, if he is starting to view all of them as family, not just in maybe Bo-Katan. We know that he's kind of had some... <laughs> emotions towards Bo-Katan in the past few uh, chapters. But 
anyway, I think that it was so imperative to have it. And I loved this whole sequence. And I really loved at the end um, when, you know, she makes the, I don't even know what you would call it, the drip, as you put it earlier, uh, with the mud horn on it. And the armor says, Mandalorian steel shall keep you safe as you grow stronger. And she puts it on him. And I don't know, something about that was like super cute to me. Just this giant piece of armor on Grogu that will kind of be with him for forever, I think. I liked it. I like, I like as much as I was making fun of how large that piece is, I kind of like it because it's different than the shirt. It's not a helmet, which I think will look super weird on his head when we do get to that point. If we do get to that point, it's going to make a cool necklace that someone's going to make and I'm going to buy it. So (laughs) let's go. I'm ready. Yeah, I totally agree with you, though, about how it's important for Grogu to have this moment, this flashback, this recognition of his trauma, his coming into his own. I think we see that development with his force abilities. Now we see that development with him accessing different parts of his memory and bringing that sense of pain and, I guess, fear into his future. It's sort of necessary for a Jedi if Grogu even still calls himself that or identifies with that at all. Um, That's something that hasn't really been touched upon in this season, by the way, except for in this episode, I guess, when he did all those flips and Din was like, I didn't teach him that, you know, Luke did. Not that he didn't say Luke did, but we know because he did all those flips on the little Jedi temple. It was it was Flip City over there, you know, and (laughs) (laughs) so that's that's what he learned there. And in a lot of ways, I think that it's necessary for a Jedi to understand their fear and put a name to it and understand their their sort of like weak points. So going back to that question of if the Forge reveals weaknesses, is Grogu's trauma a weakness? I don't think her his trauma is a weakness. I don't think anyone's trauma is a weakness. Yeah. But him not being able to access that and understand that memory and remember it seems key to his development in, in accessing even parts of what he learned in the Jedi temple for all those years. So that is a weakness that he doesn't remember that. It reminds me of when even Yoda would be like the dark side clouds, everything. It's sort of the same situation here of, I don't think this is the dark side, but maybe it's a shadow of the dark side of like, this part was so dark and tough and hard for Grogu that this part of his memory is clouded. And I think we can talk about these terms and these things in sort of a mythic Star Wars sense, but I think we can all relate to those moments, right, of something really bad happening to us. At least this is, I'm speaking from experience here, something bad happening and then forcing our memory to forget it because we don't want to access it. We don't want to uh, go into it at all, but it really is important for us to think about those things and, uh, figure out how we move forward with those so well, it kind of reminds me of what we always talked about with kylo of kylo's line yeah, i was of, just about to say that yeah look yeah. a past die kill it if you have to it's the only way to become who you were meant to be and mm-hmm. we always kind of push back against that of no kylo has to conf- to confront his past not kill it uh because he has to be able to to take that piece of him of what happened to him and also the choices that he made and move into the future um he can't actually kill the past because it's just going to keep following him around like a ghost for lack of a better word um and i think we're seeing grogu do that which actually gives me a lot of hope for this storyline of seeing grogu kind of actively go through that process Mm -hmm. okay let's move on to talk a little bit about bo-katan so since last episode when she was uh, 
accidentally inducted into the Children of the Watch. <laughs> um, it's been fascinating to watch Bo with her helmet on. I think that Katie Sackhoff does really good helmet acting. When Ragnar gets captured by these dra- this dragon, all right, we ha- how fairy tale can we be? Yeah. The fact that these warriors have to slay the dragon for the reward. I mean, when this was happening, I was like, John, <laughs> put down the hero with a thousand faces. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's so on the nose. And I love it. I love that it's on the nose, but it's it's kind of funny to me. They go on the dragon quest that <laughs> Bo leads and it's it's her idea. She has the ship. She has the plan. She checked it out. She knows the nest. She wants to do the climbing. She used to climb all the time. It's her initiative. And that's important. <laughs> and when they're all by the fire after their long day's journey, she's like, how do we eat? What's, <laughs> what's the deal? And for me, I'm like, you, you guys haven't eaten? I know, what's right? <laughs> you good? You're burning a lot of calories in the trading and you haven't eaten. <laughs> I know. But I think I thought this was so funny. Um, and it's sort of, I don't know if it's intentionally funny, but the fact that people go off to their corners to remove their helmet and eat by themselves, and then Bo gets the honor of staying by the fire, and we get this moment where she takes off her helmet and she's her face is hard to read. I feel like she knows that she has a plan, but I think she feels like she's forced within this group, and I think that the moment she removes her helmet, she looks a little icy. She looks a little like, here I am. I'm doing this thing. Do I want to be here? I don't know, but this is happening. One, I think it's interesting that we have moments of seeing Bo remove her helmet, but not Din ever. We haven't. Obviously, I mean, I know he's removed his helmet, but in these moments when he's not with anyone else, you know, uh, back in the episode with Omera, uh, I remember we saw him take off his helmet to eat, but we didn't see him. We just saw the action of taking off the helmet. So I think it's it's good that we're able to see Bo in this moment. I did find myself thinking a lot about the logistics of do they like call out to her when they're all done eating to be like, are you done eating? Can we return? <laughs> Are you decent? Ring a bell? <laughs> Are <Yeah>. you decent? <laughs> oh my God. What I was thinking about. But one thing I don't really think we've touched much on throughout this discussion is that one of the themes running throughout it is that everyone drops what they're doing to save the foundlings, whether it was Keller and Beck and the other Jedi uh, in the flashback with Grogu, or if it's everyone, all the Mandalorians here uh, when it comes to Ragnar. I think to your point that Bo, you know, kind of accidentally fell into this group and is still kind of questioning what she's doing. Yes. But I also think that she is un doesn't hesitate when it comes to rescuing the kid. She's the one that goes out the furthest. She comes back with the plan. Like she is leading this expedition because I think she genuinely wants to save the kid, to save Ragnar. And I think that that is, there's something really, there's something nice about seeing all of these people in the galaxy, no matter where they were, have this need, this desire, this a duty to protect the children that are around them. And the, there's a lot to unpack when it comes to, you know, this group of Mandalorians, the foundlings of it all, but everyone drops what they're doing to go save the kid and uh, by any means necessary. And the fact that Bo would kind of enter into this um, accidentally, more or less, and immediately 
like it doesn't matter what she is or isn't feeling about the group. The Ragnar is first priority regardless of anything else going on. And I think that was true for Grogu too when he was when he was uh, a Padawan uh, in the Jedi Temple too. When I think about this theme that runs throughout this episode and honestly throughout the entire Mandalorian, I think a lot about how George Lucas always talked about how important it was to remember that these stories were for children and how in just to take it out of the the context of the story itself, I mean, in Attack of the Clones, we have Yoda say, you know, truly wonderful the mind of the child is. Like he made George Lucas returned to Star Wars for a lot of reasons, but a lot of him because of him wanting to tell the story, center it on a nine-year-old boy, the importance of this kid. I I it can't be overstated how much this theme of how valuable children are is throughout Star Wars. And uh, I think that that is present in The Mandalorian. And yeah, you mentioned it. There's a lot to talk about with (laughs) the, the, the children of the watch, with Death Watch, with The Mandalorian, with The Mandalorian culture. I is it is it time for us to talk about it now? Should we go into it? If you want to. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Okay, so last episode, I'm just gonna be honest here. Last episode, we spent about 20 minutes talking about where the Mandalorian is going with talking about this group that Din is a part of and how it's a little murky. And is that okay? Is that not okay? Um, should we just sort of get lost in the sauce and see where the story takes us? For me, I feel like the short answer is yes, we should just get lost in the sauce and see how the story, where the story takes us and sort of reevaluate this whole thing at the end of the season. But I ended up cutting it is the point because I felt like we didn't get, we didn't reach the heights that I really wanted to with the conversation and I was doubting some things, (laughs) the heights. So I feel like we need to talk about the children of the watch because the word cult is thrown around. I've even thrown it around a ton, actually. And the question really is, should we be more careful about our language when we discuss the children of the watch? Is this really where the story is going? Are we, the audience, supposed to view them as a cult? Um, If we do, are we supposed to view them negatively or positively or neutrally? And I then I was thinking about what is really the problem with the children of the watch? And I just, well, check your reservations at the door, okay, (laughs) when you're listening to this. Their transgressions for me are their helmet wearing. I think that we can all agree that the helmet wearing is weird. They can't take off their helmet. (laughs) Even in this episode, the whole eating in their own little separate corners, it's weird. And I think that it's sort of you watch this episode and Bo does it. And there's a point where you can, as an audience member, look at her face and be like, this is strange. She is sitting around eating by the fire when normally in other Star Wars properties, we would get an amazing eating and sharing by the fire scene, but we don't, right? So that's just like one note about this episode, The Foundling. But the helmet wearing is weird. They can't take off the helmet. And then Bo accidentally joins because she hasn't taken off her helmet since she went in the, the living waters, right? And then to go with that, another transgression is the fact that they threw Din out of their family the moment they heard he took off his helmet. And we, the audience, know that we understand and we want him to take off his helmet. We want to see Pedro Pascal's face. Like, we want that. We want to see his eyes connect with Grogu because it's clearly a 
extremely meaningful moment for both of them. And we support that. For me, I just can't believe that after all that Din has done for the group and how long he has been a part of it, that just immediately the armor would be like, you're out. And for me, it just is really giving dark side of if you're not with me, you're my enemy. However, you can argue that the armor gave him a path of re- path to redemption, which felt a little futile and like silly also, right? Well, the fact that from their perspective, so- sorry to interrupt, is that redemption from at the time from their perspective was impossible. So exactly. it was like, if you're out, you're out. And uh-huh. there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. All of that, I just don't love. I don't love that about Children of the Watch. I know you don't either, right? There's some things to note also that in terms of you know, language around classifying what is a cult and what isn't. It's actually something we've talked a little bit about on the podcast with um, the path of the open hand in the High Republic recently this year, right? Or was that last year? I can't remember. Last year. Um, Last year. I loved that book. Wow. Anyway, there is definitely a sense of love bombing with Bo the moment she comes in to Children of the Watch. She is immediately accepted. They pat her on the back. They give her affection. She is easily able to get a new signet or like a new arm thing in this episode, right? That the armor happily makes for her. And it's really nice Beskar. It looks nicer than everything that she's wearing, Mm -hmm. you know, and she's accepted. I think there is also a sense of illegitimacy about the other groups within the Mandalorians. Bo-Katan has referred to this, that like when she came back to her group without the dark saber, everything fell apart and how she feels like the main sin is the fact that the Mandalorians in their sects do not agree with each other and therefore are divided. So is Bo-Katan's main goal to unite the Mandalorians against a greater evil or just for Mandalore to rebuild Mandalore? Children of the Watch think that they're the only ones who are walking the true way of the old world, the old Mandalore. And any sort of criticism is forbidden. So that is, that's culty. That's, that checks a a couple boxes when it comes to the cults, Mm -hmm. right? Also, Din is labeled an apostate right away. It's the first thing in this season. And it's like the apostate concept is pretty similar to like what some might refer to as a suppressive person. And questions are given melodic answers sort of a runaround about the history when anyone has any questions it's sort of this concept of like thought reform there is a lack of critical thinking in exchange for a family unit okay but so what are the positives of the children of the watch <laughs> so we have all that right but what these episodes recently have been telling us is like eh, maybe it's not so bad but are we getting sucked in that's that's the question because there's some positives about the children of the watch just like there's positives about honestly like most cults right And I think there is a positive to the adoption of Grogu, the immediate acceptance. We see this throughout this entire episode of the armor, just fully accepting Grogu, everyone accepting Grogu, not really looking at him him weird, like that he doesn't belong or anything like that. Because all the people around him, for all that I know, are bipedal humans, right? So the concept of the foundling is pretty compassionate. We just spend a long time talking about how the father and son aspect, the parenthood aspect, the importance of children in the beginning of the Mandalorian, it is the armor who says the foundlings are our future. All that is good. We, that, that, that works. I think that is works as a thematic link. All of that, I guess, is, is a net positive for joining this group. Uh, there is also a acceptance of new members that we see with Bo 
And then I think the key here, guys, is the sense of belonging. So the people who are lost, they lose everything, including like Bo-Katan loses her home. It's blown up by the Empire. She feels that she immediately feels a sense of refuge and a sense of belonging in this group. The question is, what is the show trying to say about this? Uh, because I think for the past couple episodes, I've sort of been lulled into this. Are they are they chill? Is this okay? <laughs> is this good? Maybe the show is making us do this on purpose. I think I'm willing to have some patience here, but I do think we are leading to a dramatic moment where the helmets come off. Altogether, we were introduced to this huge swath of Mandalorians that keep their helmets on. We started the season with a helmet going on and remaining on forever. Maybe we'll end the season with a foundling taking off their helmet. I don't know. I felt a little bad about the way that I was talking about the Children of the Watch as a cult without unpacking all of that. Because... I just think that the word cult is thrown around a lot. Is there evidence to support that? Yes, as I went through. But I think that we can engage with this entire conversation with some nuance. I hope the show also continues or does engage with this with some nuance. I'm not sure that it's going to be fully unpacked this season. It seems like John Favreau and Dave Filoni want to tell these stories for literally forever. But uh, <laughs> I... I do want to get some clarity of how we, the audience, are supposed to think about this. But maybe I don't need to be spoon-fed. Maybe I just need to ride the wave. What are your thoughts? Sorry, that was a lot. Yeah, I, I echo a lot of your thoughts, especially because we've had this conversation before, both on the podcast that was deleted and then also off the podcast, too. I think you bring up a really good point, though, of are we, the audience, also being lulled into this this feeling of, in your words, is this chill? Is this actually chill? <laughs> and I think that's a good question to have because I think within the the construct of the, the show itself within The Mandalorian and even the Book of Boba Fett, um, there is kind of this, all right, you know, there are things that we don't agree with and don't think are right um, that you went through. But also there is this almost sense of found family that we love to talk about with Star Wars. And I think it is present here. And But that, that found family comes at a pretty high cost, I think, uh, when we're looking at the children of the watch. But the, I think the main question is, is if we are being lulled in, what happens, what is going to snap us and maybe our main characters in regards to Din and Bo out of it? Um, is there going to be a moment of reckoning for all of them? And if not, is the group themselves open to change when, you know, whatever the big event is, are they willing to to change their ways, to walk a new way again. And I think that that can take us a lot of different places in the story. You know, if something happens with the Mythosaur, with Bo uniting the Mandalorians, you know, whatever it is, fill in the blank of how the story, how the season uh, may or may not end. Is this group of Mandalorians that we have here of, of Ragnar, of uh, the Armor, of Paz, you know, all the other ones, would they be willing to say, oh, you know, I've had a change of heart. This isn't the way that things need to be. This doesn't have to be the way. Let's all walk on this new way. Um, 
or not? Are they going to rebel again? You know what I mean? So I think, I think it's cool to kind of be in this little bit of a, like you said, riding the wave of, are we all being lulled in or is there an opportunity where they all could change the way? Um, and I think, I think the show kind of wants us to ask that question because, you know, the way that we see them treat each other, I think has been once we, uh, net out all of the pros and cons of, you know, ousting uh, Din, saving Grogu, um, all of that. I think it kind of nets neutral right now. Um, So what is going to be coming next? What is coming down the line for all of them? And I think that there's a lot of, um, with these organizations like this and, and the politics of a lot of these organizations, we the question is people don't have the individuality, the freedom to ask questions of how things are run. The armor works as a de facto leader and, you know, where does she get her authority from? And will there be an opportunity to question that, to change that? Is that going to come in the form of Bo or through Din? Will she be open to that or will she not? I can kind of see her going either way. We've definitely talked about her as if she could be a major villain at some point in the story, but I don't know if that's necessarily how she's been acting this season and again just want to be clear there are a lot of things we don't agree with (laughs) and what's going on in this organization i can't say i'd want to be a part of it myself but me either i think it is the ambiguity the ambiguity is kind of fun yeah that i think there definitely is ambiguity especially this season with them that is worth kind of exploring of all right what is it that they really stand for what have their actions shown throughout uh this season and even the past couple couple seasons of the Mandalorian, the good and the bad, which I think is true for any organization. And we've had examples of this throughout Star Wars, but looking at this group of people now and how they're acting, the future could look a couple different ways for them. And the more that we're starting to be embedded into the Mandalorian, into the children of the watch with Din and Grogu and Bo, um, are we getting attached to these characters? Do we want them to change their way? Is that ultimately what they'll decide in the future? I don't know. Yeah, there's also another thing here that might be too far of a stretch, but I actually wouldn't put it past Dave Filoni for like seating in. Is is there a potential parallel between the Jedi Order and the Children of the Watch and the concept of the foundlings versus the younglings, the stealing children from their home if they're force sensitive to be raised in a Jedi temple? We don't know how the foundling concept really comes to be beyond mm-hmm. What's hap- what happened on Din's own planet when it was taken over by Trade Federation droids and then he was saved by Death Watch. We don't know the full story there about what's going on. I'm not saying that there's anything more that's going on, but maybe there is. I also want to note that in this specific episode, The Foundling, we saw a parent dragon steal a child to bring to her children and the dragon stole Ragnar did the in the clan stole her children after they killed the dragon to be their own foundlings did that feel cruel at the end for me it kind of did mm-hmm. I felt a little bit of like oh this is like Game of Thrones where they get dragons and now they're going to have cool dragons that they're going to ride because I think you noted in our notes seems like Bogaton is the only one with a flying ship right (laughs) so now we have dragons so that's pretty cool but at the same time we did steal they stole babies right yeah 
So, well, and the found the armorer says, and sorry to interrupt, and I meant to say this earlier, but the greatest honor of Mandalore is saving a foundling mm. and is bringing a foundling to them. Which is that ethical? Like, uh, I, I don't, well, this is this is the question too with the Jedi of they're it, taking that's what I mean. force sensitive babies, babies um, from their homes. Yeah, and I don't think we we're critical of the Jedi Order in that vein, but I don't think we've ever referred to them as a cult. Um, but they're kind of doing that. They're mm. they're doing the same thing. I feel like I have off mic referred to them as a cult yeah. sometimes, but I don't. I don't, I don't think necessarily we've ever think they are. Yeah, exactly. But why? <laughs> why? Because if we're looking at the because setup, Luke Skywalker isn't a part of a cult, but like I do think that or, or is he? <laughs> right. The uh, <laughs> I think the prequel Jedi are flawed, and that's where it gets dicey. Well, I think it's and about Rogu is part of the prequel Jedi. Yeah. Well, I think it's about do these people have the freedom to ask questions, to change things, to have individuality within these organizations, and something like the Empire? No. As we're seeing right now in uh, the Children of the Watch, not really. Uh, with the Jedi. Yes and no. It changed a lot throughout the years. And I think comparing it to to the way that we see things operating in like the High Republic era, for example, we're kind of seeing how these organizations shift and change across generations. And yeah, and you know, how Luke runs things in the future, we have a little taste of, not much really. But, you know, could Mandalore's been through a lot of change itself too, um, even with all of the different clans and sects and things like that. So there's room for change for these people in the future. It's just if they're willing to do it. Right. So in a lot of ways, not not to zoom too far out, but I do think that John and Dave in the creation of The Mandalorian are continuing to respond to things that were and were not done in the sequel trilogy. And maybe this is one of them about the concept of refining what was broken in the past by bringing it forward in a new way. And I think that they're doing that with the Mandalorians. And I think that's why they brought in Grogu because of this parallel with like Tar Vizla, this concept of a Mandalorian Jedi. His Grogu's origins are crucial to the story of the Mandalorian and have always been since the first episode. And I think that there's a lot of parallels going on, this poetry at rhymes type thing that I think when we are able to view this entire season as a whole, we might have more to say, but we also might not because we might be in this for the long haul. Yeah. Well, and they could prove to be super culty in the end. True. We could end this entire season with a turn to the opposite direction of what we're talking about Yeah, where the they sort of lean too far in to the behavior that I went down that checklist basically for. Um, I don't know. And I, I'm intrigued to see what happens. And I'm keeping all of these parallels in my back pocket. I think we're going to need to get like a backpack. There's a lot in the back pocket. The, the, so true. We need a <laughs> huge backpack. You know those little kids when they put on the backpacks for their preschool and the backpack is like yeah. as big as them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we need. That's basically all my baggage that I bring <laughs> into the Star Wars conversation. <laughs> and I'm it's the preschooler. Me. Like, hi, Yay. I'm the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it's me. <laughs> 
I guess to kind of bring it back to Bo bringing the foundlings, quote unquote, of the the three young dragons at the end. You know, this is the second creature, large creature that the Mandalorians, the children of the Watch, have destroyed, have killed. And we still we had this conversation a couple weeks ago about you know taming versus slaying the Mythosaur. So there's got to be a change in pattern. Uh, when it comes to these creatures, because I don't think I want them to kill the mythosaur like they've been killing the giant alligator turtle thing and then also this dragon. So there's got to be a change in pattern. So could that apply to both the creatures and then also to the group themselves? I think so. And I love just want to kind of as we're starting to wrap up here, love the image of all these Mandalorians in the ship with these three really ugly little dragon babies. Just trying to keep them calm. Okay. Do you think they're ugly or do you think they're ugly cute? No, I think they're ugly. <laughs> I think they're I ugly. I think they're ugly cute. I mean, <laughs> they could be ugly cute. I want to see them get named. I want to name them. You know, we never got a name. Drogon. Drogon. I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We, <laughs> we never. The flashbacks that I just gave <laughs> so many people. Everyone just turned off the episode. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out. Uh, we never got a name for uh, Boba Fett's uh, Rancor, and I was so sad about that. So if we're going to have more big creature, cute, ugly pets, I want them to be named. Me too. Maybe eventually we will. Yeah. I think this was a great episode. There was a lot going on. It had a lot of uh, cute moments with Grogu, of course. Uh, but I think there was a lot that was being seeded in this episode. When it comes to the foundlings and, you know, their their life, essentially. Can't wait for next week. <laughs> I can't believe we're halfway through yeah. The Mandalorian Season 3. It's not yeah. okay. I'm really sad about it. <laughs> Yeah, me too. And I, I think we should just put out here now that our we have every intention of putting out an episode next week about The Mandalorian as well as The Bad Batch and maybe another episode. But that's also our last week before we go to celebration. So uh, just maybe be a little patient if things aren't quite on the same schedule as we like them to be. <laughs> but we are. Yeah, I think honestly, it's the next week we need to worry about more because we will. I don't think we are going to have time to do yeah. a Mandalorian recap on Wednesday before celebration. So yeah. my guess is we're going to have to bundle our combos about episodes Chapters, six and seven yeah. together. Yeah, I think so. Uh, all that to say is the next couple of weeks, things will probably be a little off schedule at one point or another when it comes to our coverage of The Mandalorian. So just hang tight. It's coming at some point. It is. It, it, it'll be there. So just look forward to it. I promise. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Perfect opportunity for you to turn notifications on for Sky Talkers, whether it's social media or podcasts, wherever it is. So just go so ahead. True. That way you're so up to date. All right. Well, is there anything else that we want to say about this episode, The Foundling? I am clapping like the Mandalorians do <laughs> by banging their wrists together, oh <laughs> their gosh. gauntlets together. I love it. Love it. Me too. <laughs> I can't wait to see that at Celebration, honestly, because I don't think that was a thing. If that was a thing before, I totally missed it. But this new form of Mandalorian clapping, I'm very much into and... Yeah, that's me. That was me at the end of this episode. That's me at the end of recording this podcast, too. So <laughs> thanks for joining us. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. We are looking forward to everything that's coming next with The Mandalorian, Bad Batch, as well as 
Star Wars Celebration, uh, Europe and London in just a couple weeks. Can't wait. There's a lot coming down the Star Wars pipeline, so we will be covering it all. So if you want to keep up to date with us, you can follow us on Twitter at SkytalkersPod or our personal handles. Mine is at Caitlin Plusher and Charlotte's is at Crarity. We also have our Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, um, all good places to find us. Our website too, skytalkers.com. And if you're interested um, in leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we would really love it if you took a couple seconds to go and do that helps other people find the show. And we would love to see you share that you're actually listening to the show in real time. So if uh, you're listening to this and want to do a little screenshot, share it on your Instagram story or your social media of choice and tag us, we would love to reshare it too. Uh, kind of works as like word of mouth. And that is the best way to uh, share the podcast that you're listening to and invite other people to listen in too. So we would love if you would take a second and do that as well, help other people join in the Sky Talkers community and discussions. And if you're interested in other ways to support us, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our different reward tiers there. And I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons, Joe, Cassie, Jenny, Lightsaber Lost, Olivia, Lindsay, Charlotte, Tim, Jonah, Carol, David, Simon, Molly, Jose, Nina, Alexa, Jedediah, Brad, Natalie, Anna, Madison, Trevor, Allie, Sophia, Bibi, Nate, Aubrey, Emily, and Angela. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yes, thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Mm-hmm.